So I want to share a quick story about my life. Um, these are probably the most hard, difficult, probably parts of sermon planning is stories. What story can I share? So I'm going to st- share a little story about my own personal life. Um, Ruth and I have started to date in 2016 and got married in 2017. We did it pretty fast. Nine months of dating and got married pretty fast. And most of you might know by now that Ruth is a white woman and I am a black man. Yes. Over the years, we learned and forever continue to learn how to communicate through our upbringing and our cultural differences. But the reason I bring this up uh, at this moment is because you might remember uh, during the years of 2016 um, into 2017, there were some of the most toxic social and political issues within our country. This was a time of police, police brutality, um, and this became personal for me, for Ruth and my brother-in-law, who is a police officer. It forced us to not only look at the issues of our country, but also forced us to go beyond our preconceived thoughts about each other as a black man and as a white police officer. And we had to kind of like change our thoughts about each other because we're family now. He's not just another police officer I can label as corrupt. And I'm not just another black person he can label as armed and dangerous. But we are both fathers who love our children, who are faithful to our wives, and brothers-in-law who are willing to have hard conversations. And we're still learning how to see past the cultural expectations and our own assumptions of how we should love, interact with each other, and that we try our best to learn from each other. And as as I can stand here and be honest, it's not easy. We're not leaving a conversation. I'm like, oh, that was a great point. I'm asking more questions and more questions and more questions. He's asking more questions and more questions. And it's challenging to be in front of someone else that the culture has told you to be at odds with. So I cannot leave his family no longer. He's going to be in my life. I'm going to be in his life. And every time we go to Colorado each summer, we have conversations. And it's challenging. So I wonder if you're experiencing anything similar when you, when you assume someone was a particular way and then you got to know them and spend time with them and heard more of their story, and then your narrative about them kind of completely changed. Okay, so we're kind of going to go that way. So today we're going to step, this thing is uncomfortable, but I'm fixing it. Yep. So today we're going to step into a story that is not our own. It's a story of two people from different backgrounds who share a common love for the Lord. It's a Gentile, Cornelius, and Jewish, Peter. I want to emphasize the importance of this chapter. This is a very strategic chapter in the history of salvation. This chapter is the great movement of the gospel to Gentiles. We are Gentiles. We are not the Jewish people. 
Just want to throw that out there. We're not in the store yet. Now, it may seem meaningless to us, but in the early church, the believers were first Jewish, and the racial prejudice that existed between Jewish and Gentiles historically ran deep for hundreds of years. It's kind of like our history, American history. For centuries, Jews believed that the story of salvation only included them, not Gentiles. But the time has arrived for something long anticipated by the prophets is coming. Now it's time for the Lord's salvation to move past the holy nation and be given to other nations of the world. So we're right there in that story, right there in the moment of history where salvation begins to switch and expand. So as chapter 10 opens, we meet Cornelius, a centurion who is, as he is praying, has a vision from an angel of the Lord. Cornelius is instructed to send for Peter, the apostle, and Cornelius, as he is a man who, who loves God and fears God, he obeys without instruction. The next day, Peter, too, is caught in a vision as well as he's praying on a rooftop. And in his, in his vision, Peter sees unclean animals descending from heaven and acts three times, get up, kill and eat. Can you imagine if you're praying and just pigs just coming down and God is actually kill and eat? I, I just think that's crazy. But he refuses. He says to the voice, I have never eaten anything impure and unclean. The voice spoke back to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So Peter is left perplexed about this strange vision. While he is perplexed, God is simply and beautifully interrupting conventional and normal structures of relating. The Spirit tells Peter he has three guests waiting for him. Peter listens and goes down and without hesitation invites Gentiles into his home. Okay, God, hold up. What are you doing? All of our life you have taught us to reject these people. All of our life you have told us to not hang around these folks. What are you doing? Both Peter and, these, and those sent from Cornelius are guests in the house of the unclean, and together they are in the story of God. And this is where we left off, and now we pick up at verse 24, where we continue our story when Peter is pressed to not only listen and obey the Spirit, but he is pressed to follow and believe the words of Cornelius' men. We don't have time to kind of go through all the passages because there's 24. I don't want to read them all to you. I'm hoping that you read them yourself. But you can open up your Bibles. We have them on our phone. Um, I'll pull up some verses on the screen, but if you want to pull them up on your phone to follow the story as I teach you, that would be great. But if you want to listen with your ears, that's also okay as well. So we find Peter traveling over 20 miles towards Caesarea with Gentiles, walking with Gentiles to see what the Spirit is asking him to do. And at any moment, Peter can 
ignore the voice of God. He can turn around and go back to Jerusalem and enjoy his life. But his obedience to the Spirit kept him on the path towards Caesarea. Little does Peter know Cornelius and his relatives and his close friends are already waiting, eager to meet Peter. They're waiting for him. This is like almost like this story in Acts 2 where they're waiting for the Spirit to come. And it's just like that Cornelius and his friends are waiting, expecting for Peter to bring something to them. So as soon as Peter enters the house of Cornelius, things kind of go sideways. He is met by Cornelius who is like prostrate on the ground. Can you imagine you, you enter someone's house and they're like, we're glad you're here, and they just bow down to you? So this is a crazy interaction that Peter's having here. You can imagine the amount of annoyance and awkwardness that he's feeling towards this man who's bowing down before him. And he's like, man, who is this? Dude, get up. I'm only a man myself. So Cornelius gets up, wipes himself off. They talk, and then they go towards the room where there's a bunch of people gathering. So for Cornelius, a military guy, he felt like there was nothing wrong that he did. He was in the presence of a special man who popped in this vision. For Cornelius, it was normal for Gentiles who grew up in the belly of paganism to worship men. So to bow down before Peter, he thought it was normal. So again, Peter tells him to stand up. Let's move to the larger place. And now the stage is set. Peter's, he sees these large gatherings. And, and for a person like myself whose energy drains when I'm around a large group of people like this, I'll be freaked out. I'm like, whoa, I didn't ask all these people to kind of come into this gathering. I thought this was going to be me and you, Cornelius, but you brought a whole bunch of people here. And I want us to slow down here to hear and understand the weight of what's actually happening in the story. Peter and Cornelius should not be together. Say it again. Peter and Cornelius should not be together. The disciples who came with Peter should not be in the same room with Cornelius' family and close friends and his household, but they are together. The cultural codes, the social rules, and theology that normally applies are being suspended in this encounter, and no one knows what's going to happen next. What do we do? We're not supposed to be together. See, what the Spirit of God is beginning to do is he is beginning to breach borders and boundaries in the best place for disruption. It's the place of intimate space for family and close friends. And from this intimate place, the Spirit will change wide open spaces for people and nations. It starts in this intimate space in the living room of someone's house. So completely thrown off by his audience, Peter tells the large gathering this. You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with 
or visit a Gentile. Peter is, if you actually read the story, Peter is actually like slick in this moment. He's like so uncomfortable at this moment. Like he interacts with these people and the very first thing he says, like, you know we ain't supposed to be together, right? Like me and you, they ain't supposed to be together. But he's trying to dodge this new opportunity to be in community with the outsider. He's trying to push away. By the way, there were no formal laws that strictly prohibited Jews from associating with Gentiles. It was just that they had to prepare to play, to, it was just that they, they had to prepare to, to pay a price for doing so. The price being, being ritually unclean. Jews did this regularly with Gentiles. They refused to associate with Gentiles because they were suspicious of their antisocial behavior. Peter did not want to pay the price for being ritually unclean, nor did he want to let go of his prejudice. So he says it. Hey, we're not supposed to be here. This is weird. God, what are you doing? Isn't it funny that as soon as you're with somebody that the culture or the church tells you not to be with, our cultural antennas just kind of go up like, oh, we're, we're not supposed to be together. Right? We, we kind of have, like, we kind of feel it in our bodies like, whoa, I'm with, I'm alone with a black man, so I had to clinch from my purse. I'm alone with a, uh, I'm alone with a homosexual, so I have to, like, try to use scripture to, to, to convert them back to Jesus. Like, we, we, we feel it in our body because the culture tells us not to be alone with these people. Church, we use the same vocabulary as Peter. We act in the same manner as Jews. We too form our own laws to protect ourselves from those who have social, antisocial behavior. And take it a step further, we even uphold these laws because we fear if we break them, we fear if we break them, we may lose our social identity. So we'll say it in our mind of like, oh, ah, you know, you voted for who? You know I can't be with you, right? Oh, you believe in what? You know, you know I can't be with you. You live in what area? You know I can't be with you, right? Oh, you committed what sin? Ah, my God tells me not to be with you because I don't want to be ritually unclean. So what do we do? We keep our distance. Or we shun those on social media, Instagram. Or we shun those in our minds, or in our workplace, or in our, around our family tables. And it could be those who are closest to us, our own family. You know, my dad is a conservative, so ah, relationship is hard. Oh, my mom is a liberal, so, you know, it's kind of hard. But little do we know, this actually hinders us from listening with care to other stories. Because we wrote, we already wrote their stories for them with our prejudice. See, the world already has its prejudice towards certain people. 
That's not the issue. We should already know that. The issue is Christians. Say that word for you. That's like a buzzword for a lot of people. Christians. Christians won't come out and directly say it like Peter. Peter at least had enough courage to say it like, I'm not supposed to be with you. But Christians won't come out and say it directly. But we sure do show it by the books that we read. By the podcast news that we listen to. By the people we vote for. The people we surround ourselves with. The conversations we have with our children about other people's children. The theology we agree to, the zip codes we run to, and the zip codes we avoid. We all have our laws against certain people that we're not supposed to be associating with. Now, someone in a room may say this. Well, Shaq, if you, if you turn to um, Galatians 3.28, this is what it says. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor is there male or female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. All that stuff you're naming went away when Jesus died and resurrected. And I will respond by saying this. Yes, that's true. But it's easy to quote scripture. I can quote scripture right now. Jesus wept. It's easy, right? But it doesn't mean that all other prejudice in our hearts magically disappears when we quote scripture. See, we can use the Galatian passage to cheapen and shorthand the work of racism and prejudice or colorblindness. We can try to downplay the problem of race so it feels like there's less work for Jesus to accomplish. When race and prejudice aren't that bad, church, when race and prejudice aren't that bad, Jesus doesn't have to do much with changing hearts. Let's say it again. When prejudice and racism aren't that bad, just quote the scripture. Jesus doesn't have to do much with changing hearts. As people of the kingdom living inside an empire, we must risk our prejudice first to Jesus and then in repentance to others, trusting that the power of the gospel can change us and those around us. We have to trust that the gospel is good not only just for our minds, but also good for our hearts. Friends, the new order of Jesus invites us to abandon the old order of things and to trust his work to overcome the world. If he has overcome the world, and we sing about it, we believe it, shouldn't we trust him geographically and socially when we interact with other people? If he has overcome the world, every space, the cosmos, Shouldn't we trust them when we interact with people geographically different from us, socially different from us? I'll share a brief story. As I was kind of um, preparing for the sermon, I was asking God, I just need help, please. Like, I'm preparing a sermon Sunday, I need your help, and I'm anxious, and to show me what this means to me. So I, I think it was Tuesday, I go to the coffee shop in Bellevue, 
and I have my Bible, I have all my books. It kind of looks like I'm doing a devotional. Get my coffee, got everything, and I sit down, and I'm about to open a book, and there's this man, 60 years old, white beard man, and he walks past me and says, hey, how you doing? And he's like, oh, Book of Acts. It's a cool book. And he sits down, and he's like, hey, like, are you a pastor? I was like, yeah, I'm kind of pastor, still figuring that out. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, um, oh, do you know John MacArthur? And I was like, everything in me kind of went like, whoa. And I was like, yeah, I kind of know John MacArthur. He said, yeah, I've been to his church for eight years. And, um, you know, it's, like, it's, it's, his, 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 his teaching is really good. And it's really helping me kind of shape my, my understanding about the world. Then he, um, I was like, great. And he asked, like, he said, yeah, I moved to Chicago. And then I moved to Pittsburgh. And I was like, what made you move to, like, Pittsburgh? And he was like, well, things are kind of crazy in Chicago. It's a lot of stuff going there, a lot of liberal, a lot of liberal stuff going on. And I was just like, whoa. It's like a second, like, whoa. And then he was like, hey, like, what's, like, what's your thoughts on, like, Black Lives Matter? Like, you know, I think it's just, like, I, like, I'm telling the story, so he's, this is actually what happened. So God is, like, revealing something in me. I'm just like, yeah, like, you believe the statement is true? And he's like, yeah, but the charity, da-da-da. And, and then he goes on, and he goes on, and he shows me all these different people who are, like, hyper-conservative who are black. And I'm like, dude, you're missing the point. Just because they're black doesn't mean I get to, like, I get to be with them. And so I'm, like, sitting there, and I'm like... Oh, and I like leave the coffee shop, and I'm again. I'm like, oh, like I held a pre- like a prejudice against him. Like I was like very prejudiced when he start naming different things, and I'm like, he's not attacking my family or me, but he's attacking something in me that I'm like, I have to be against you. I have to like, you know, we're open up the Bible, and I'm like, we're, it's, it becomes this debate, and I'm no, he's no longer person anymore. He, he's becoming a, a competition. And I'm like, oh, I got some prejudice, Lord. Let me like lay that before you. I, I had a privilege against uh, uh, a prejudice. I held prejudice against him and, and judged him based on his political party. That he's not for me, doesn't see me, doesn't want me in his, in his, in his life. And I just held this thing like he's not a part of the kingdom of God. And as a black man, I can have pre- uh, prejudice too. Just want to let you know. It doesn't just, it's not, and not just for people who are white, but it's also for all people. So again, back to the, the sermon. Peter knew the social and theological ramifications of being with an outsider. But God has shown him that he should not judge anyone impure based on their ethnicity. God has led Peter over the line that separates Jewish body from Gentile body, holy body from unholy body, and moved Peter to change his perception. Except Peter is still unsure why he is in the presence of Gentiles. Why have you sent for me? That's what he says to them. Why have you sent for me? He knew there had to be more than just the breaking of Jewish traditions. And as an analyst who wants to know a lot of um, my, I want it like for, uh, for myself, I want to know the meaning for my questions. So I kind of feel Peter in this moment of asking God, why have you sent me? Am I supposed to do something really good? 
And Peter is asking this question to this large crowd, why have you sent me? Why have you sent for me? But this isn't important. What's important is that Peter has been thrust into an uncharted place by the Spirit's desire and not his own. Isn't it crazy how the Spirit would often ask us to do something we don't want to do and lead us to places we don't want to go? This is exactly what's happening to Peter right now. He has been asked to do something he don't want to do and being led to a place he doesn't want to go. Cornelius goes on to share his vision from God. And Peter is invited to listen for the word of God in others who are not imagined with God, not imagined as involved with God, and not imagined sharing in the extensive story of belonging. He is led to listen to the Gentiles. See, we need to listen to other stories that don't just include us but stories that include people, other people, because through the power of story, there is holy joining taking place. If I know something about grace, grace knows something about me, and that joins us together and knowing a little bit more about her and she knows a little bit more about me. And Peter, we get to understand who they are. I get to understand who she is. We hear their perspective, their interpretation, their understanding of the world and how they see others in it. And Peter is invited to not only trust the spirit, but invited to listen to Cornelius, a man whom Jewish society would encourage him not to listen to. But he listens for the sake of the spirit. Now it's Peter's turn to speak. He speaks. And the very first words he others to this group is this. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter is just kind of, like his heart is changing in a moment as God is revealing him this vision. And, God, and he's just kind of sitting there like, I now realize that it's not just about us. See, the American culture will continue to shout whiteness and white male supremacy. But as people of God, we have to fight the urge to listen to a different pitch that includes all voices. I'm going to say it again. The American culture will continue to shout whiteness and white male supremacy. But as people of God, we have to fight the urge to listen to a different pitch that includes all voices. Amen. The voices that we have shunned for many years and generations, we have to listen to those voices. See, the Spirit of God is doing something new in Peter's heart. He now realizes the meaning of his vision. He also realized that God's palette for people and nation reaches beyond his prejudice. Jew and Gentile will share in one spirit. Say it again. Jew and Gentile will share in one spirit. It would no longer be power over people, but power for people. It would no longer just be one nation in the story of God, but many stories 
that are born of and nature through holy joining. It would no longer be a narrative of empire, but the narrative of kingdom inclusion, where all voices can come to the Father. He goes further in his sermon. He holds up the blood and body of Jesus' people. So Peter does what Peter does. He preaches. His words summarize the story of good news. He pulls back the curtain and reveals the hand of God in Jesus. He shares about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He shares the position of Jesus as one who has all authority to judge the living and the dead. He shares that through Jesus, all creatures, Jew and non-Jew, are bound to him. And in him, all sin is forgiven. And through him, all prophecy in the Old Testament and New Testament find their home. But while Peter preaches, the spirit breaks free. Can you imagine if either me or Dennis or Julia is preaching and the Holy Spirit just like breaks free into this space? I would just stand back and be like, I'm on that side, I'm, I'm over. But this, this is what happens. He preaches and he's interrupted by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit falls on who? The Gentiles. They take hold of them. Just as it has happened to the disciples in Acts 2, right? They were waiting, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And that same Spirit that dwelled in the Jews now dwells in the Gentiles. The Gentiles speak in tongues and praise God. And God's Spirit has confirmed his word that I am for all people. In me they find their home. Let my children come home. No more boundaries and borders. Let my children come home. Jesus has a very diverse family. Some who are adopted, some who, are, who grew up in the faith. But he has, I just think about God being this, this, this foster parent, just taking in all these children and loving them and, and, and seeing them. So what's one step of obedience Jesus is calling us to as a church? I know in sermons we kind of give you at least two to three action steps. And that's a lot. I mean, to kind of listen to every sermon and have like two to three things to do throughout the week, that's a lot. And most of us are parents. We kind of forget. We leave the, the church and we're like, what did he say again? I'm just going to give you one. And some of this may be doable for some of us. But my question is this. Here's a call of action. How might the Spirit be leading you this, to listen to other stories that you would otherwise ignore? How can you enter into their language and in their lives and become one with them? Is it a coworker who's just kind of getting on your nerves a lot? Is it the distant sibling or parent you haven't talked to in a while? Is it a close friend who kind of just went MIA on you? Is it the neighbor everyone gossips about? Is it the stranger on your way to work? Is it the homeless man who's asking for change? What if you just stopped and said, hey, let's go to lunch? That would really make their day, but 
Who is one person that you can just, he's different from me, don't know him, don't know her, had a grudge against him, had a grudge against her, I'm going to give them a call. I'm not saying, this is what I'm not saying, I'm not saying you seek out other stories for the sake of conversion. Most of my former uh, leaders, ministry leaders, kind of made that mistake of making me like every interaction I have, I got to share the gospel. If I, don't, if I don't share the gospel, they're going to hell. I'm not saying at every person you share the gospel, if the opportunity provides itself, do it. But I'm not saying seek other stories out for the sake of That's not the motivation. The motivation is to be in relationship with people who are different from you, who think different from you. And they're not saying it's going to be hard. Not saying it's going to be easy, I meant to say. But whoever it is may be, whoever's in front of you, what if you just took time to see them, got to know them, spend time with them? So allow the spirit and the gospel to carry you to places of discomfort, to show you that he is writing a narrative that expands beyond you. Allow the spirit to carry you to places of discomfort to show you that he is writing a narrative that expands beyond you. For if we believe that the gospel is active in the world, then we ought to trust that it not only come, if we believe and trust that the gospel is active in the world, then we ought to trust that it will not only overcome heaven and earth, but also boundaries and borders. The gospel is active, church. Let's pray. Father, there, I know there's conviction in the room. I know there's more in the room. I know there's pain in the room. I know there's questions in the room. There's doubt in the room. There's harm in the room. Father, would you just be you to these people? Would your, your spirit be so real and tangible that we wouldn't just sing about him, but we would actually desire his movement in our lives? you shake us up, that it's not about camps, it's not about me versus you, Lord, we, it is about your kingdom. It is about your kingdom, Lord. So we pray and ask that you will first forgive us of some of the empty distractions we have caused in our world, that we have become Cain and Abel killing our brothers, killing our sisters with words, poisonous words. But God, I pray that you would strengthen us with the joy of your salvation, not just for us, but for the world and for those who we put on the outside. Holy Spirit, come and convict us and change us and move us to where your spirit is leading us. In Jesus' name, amen.